Hey folks, it's Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Just a quick intro today as my post-strike life has gotten ridiculously busy, um, which is great. I'm happy for it. Um, but it feels like, you know, <laughs> it feels like work uh, in addition to all the other work that that I've been doing for the past bunch of years, um, including this podcast and Dead Pilot Society and the Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast. Speaking of which, we're doing a live Thrilling Adventure Hour on December 2nd at the Bourbon Room in Hollywood. Uh, it's going to be two really fun shows, which are early 6.30 and 8.30, because we are an aging cast and we all want to go to bed. Uh, so 6.30 and 8.30, two different shows, two different scripts. We've got a bunch of great writers whose names you know from the writers panel, uh, folks like my pal Mickey Fisher, the creator of Extant, uh, Jay Holtham, who was recently on Handmaid's Tale and Supergirl, uh, Liz Hara, who has written on Devil Dinosaur um, and Sesame Street, uh, my pal Heath Corson, who used to host the comics panel with me. So many great writers involved uh, that Acker and I are showrunning this show. Um, and that's been really fun. Uh, we, of course, have our phenomenal regular cast, including Paul F. Tompkins, Paget Brewster, Mark Evan Jackson, Joshua Molina, Janet Varney, all your pals. Uh, we've also got some terrific surprise guests lined up, uh, which I'm very excited about. So that's December 2nd at the Bourbon Room in Hollywood. Go to bourbonroomhollywood.com for tickets. It's also available to stream, and I'll put that link up on the Substack benblacker.substack.com. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, the best way to show your support is to become a paid subscriber to the newsletter, benblacker.substack.com. Um, you know, that's the way to support the both the podcast and the newsletter, which, you know, I try to I try to give you good stuff, including next week, a live Q&A with Ben Edlund, creator of The Tick, writer for Supernatural, and a bunch of other shows, um, you show up on the Zoom, you ask Ben your cues, he gives you terrific A's. Uh, the only way to attend that is to become a paid subscriber, benblacker.substack.com. Now for today's episode, we've got a terrific conversation with Marissa Jo Serrar, who you know from The Fosters, from 13 Reasons Why, The Handmaid's Tale. She was with us recently, or a couple of years ago, I guess, uh, for her show, Women of the Movement. And she's got a new show on Hulu right now called Black Cake based on the amazing novel. Um, and it's a really good show. Folks should check it out. Marissa did a great job. And it's always a pleasure to talk to her. She wanted to talk specifically as part of our ongoing craft conversations about populating a writer's room, how you put together a writer's room. So that is the conversation right now with Marissa Jo Serrar. Thanks for listening. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Let's start by talking about, um, you know, where folks may have seen your name on their television screen in the past and in the present. Well, I can't remember how long ago it was, but I know when we did this podcast Previously, it was for my first show as showrunner, which was a, a limited series um, called Women of the Movement on ABC. And it was about um, Emmett Till and his mother, Mamie Till Mobley, and their fight to her, her fight to avenge his death. But previ- prior to 
running my own show. I've had been on many other shows. My first show uh, as a staff writer to 10 years ago, which is insane, was The Fosters. And I was on that show for three years, uh, part of creation of 62 or three episodes, I think. Um, that was when shows got like 22, you know, <laughs> so it was back in the old days. And then I went to a limited series on Fox called Shots Fired. I was a co-producer on that show. It was an amazing life-changing experience. Then I went and wrote on season two of 13 Reasons Why. I was a supervising producer. A very, very, very challenging experience that really prepared me to do this job. Um, I was really given a lot of an opportunity to run my own room. And then I learned, you know, you know, I was on set all the time away from my little, my little baby. It's very hard, but it, it all makes, it all makes sense now. Um, and then The Handmaid's Tale season three, I was supervising producer on that show. And then when I was on hiatus uh, uh, for, uh, from The Handmaid's Tale, I met Aaron Kaplan, who is the head of Capital Productions or Capital Entertainment. And he was just, he was a fan of my, some of my scripts, the stuff that I had written um, on my own outside of the shows I'd staffed on. And he wanted to collaborate. And I wasn't really looking for a job. I was really looking to hang out with my daughter all summer. And um, But he presented uh, the Emmett Till, Mamie Till Mobley story. He said, you know, I have a book. What would you do? And I said, I want to, okay, I'm going to tell the story. And so from then on, you know, I then I filmed that show during the pandemic, that insurrection in Mississippi. And then I read Black Cake. And um, said it was going to be my next project. I have an overall deal with Capital, and we teamed up with Harpo Films. And now you can see my name on Black Cake. <laughs> Congrats. Um, and it's out right now for folks uh, who haven't caught it over on Hulu. Um... Yeah, the first the first three episodes um, are now on Hulu. And then every Wednesday, uh, one will drop until the eighth episode in December. Um I'm curious to hear before we sort of roll into your uh, topic today of staffing rooms, this this learning curve that you had on that second season of 13 Reasons. And, you know, you'd been in a bunch of rooms, uh, you know, probably some functional rooms, maybe some dysfunctional rooms, but like being thrown into the deep end like that. Uh, tell me about like learning to run a room all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it actually starts before 13 Reasons. And I mentioned 13 Reasons because it was so intense, the travel. That was just constantly being gone and a show that was huge. Like, I started before season one premiered and it was so controversial and it was such a huge hit. And so there was, you know, just this pressure and I was the new upper level writer and um and I had two writers who were ahead of me and I actually worked with one of them pr prior to working on the show which was great so we already knew each other but um just coming in you know to an already like a well-oiled machine essentially was was a little intimidating but I think at the moment I let them know like I'm not competing with you like I'm here to like make your show amazing so let's just like put all that aside like let's let's do it um but just to you know rewind a little bit when I was a staff writer I was running set on my first show, my first episode of television. I was on set for two days with the showrunner and they said, you got this. And it was at Warner Brothers. The writer's room was also at Warner Brothers. So if, if I like blew up the studio, like they could just walk over and escort me, escort me out. But um, they just, you know, for whatever they saw in me, I don't know, but I was able to run set and I, I had to pitch, you know, you have to pitch your own episodes and I was able to sit in with casting and I got to work with great directors who 
really respected me. And you know, even though I was young and they were more seasoned, they really just, you know, I asked questions and they answered. And I, you know, I was not intimidated by actors. So that was also a bonus for me. I was not afraid to, to, you know, to talk to them about why certain lines needed to remain as scripted and what the intention was behind the lines. But it really started there. And then, but I, you know, 60 episodes of, you know, you learn a lot. And just being in the room, a very traditional writer's room all day, every day for three years, you know, I learned a lot. But when I went to Shots Fired, um, that was run by, created and run by Reggie Rock Bythewood and Gina Prince Bythewood, they really took me under their wing. And I was doing things that people at my level as a co-producer weren't doing. I was, um, you know, calling actors and pitching them their entire arcs for the season to try and get them to take the role. I was pitching in front of, you know, network people and studio people. And then I was running set alone in another state. And I got to work with the amazing Casey Lemons, who was, you know, a huge film director and a you know, hero of mine. And Gina Prince Bythewood, obviously a huge hero of mine, everybody, every other woman on the planet, um, to work with them. They believed in me. So just that confidence. And I got to write this, you know, the series, co-write the series finale with Reggie. Um, and just being on set and dealing with all the, you know, the craziness of being on set alone in another state. Then I go to, you know, 13 Reasons and it was, it's such a huge cast and the storytelling was so complicated because we're jumping time, which, you know, it really helps when I'm doing Black Cake. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're all over 50 years though of time. And um, so a, a big cast, a ton of characters breaking the whole season, season two, with, you know, Brian Yorkie, the showrunner, and then my colleagues in the writer's room, the writer producers and the writers. It was just a lot of work. And as a supervising producer, I didn't, I wasn't, I was like, oh, like, we're like running the show together. Okay. Like, I didn't know. I was like, I didn't know that's what this job was, but cool. Like, I'll do it. Luckily, I'd been close enough with, you know, Reggie and Gina, I'd really learned from them. So I was prepared for it. But I wasn't, I was prepared for it inside. I didn't think I was, but I just had to roll with it. And it was just, a, it was a big production. And um, so just being there, running my own room, that was one thing I had never done. I had run the room a couple of times in Shots Fired, but I had a mini room that three supervising producers each had a mini room to run where we had a couple other writers and we were running it. And then we'd pitch, you know, this, this the characters arcs or whatever the plots were that we were assigned to Brian Yorkie, the, the show writer, and then to Netflix and to Paramount and to anonymous content. And um, we had to pitch you know, me, Haley Tyler, who is, was my co-EP on Women of the Movement and is my co-EP on Black Cake. I met her in the writer's room for 13 Reasons Why. And so um, me, Haley, Thomas Higgins, who was also a supervising producer, and Brian Yorkie, we pitched season two to Netflix to see if it was going to get a season two. So there was so much pressure because it was a mini, it was, it wasn't a pickup when I started, but it taught me so much about pitching, the amount of detail, the amount of work you really have to put into it to really sell it, even you know, because we we're really selling a season two, and um, and then when I went to Handmaids, you know, it wasn't. A, I ran set, I you know, I produced my episode, and I had to pitch, but it was it was. There's so many very high level writer producers. It wasn't as much work as um, Thirteen Reasons Why, but it, you know, as hard as it was, like I, I, it really did prepare me to be the one in charge. I mean, all of my, all of every experience I've had, good and bad, you know, prepared me for this, this gig. When it came time to run Women of the Movement, did it, did those experiences prepare you for staffing a room? Did you know what you were looking for? Well, I think, you know, it, it did. And I didn't know because I had just seen so many, I've, you know, 
I've never been fired, luckily, knock on wood. But I've seen writers come and go from rooms, rooms I've been in for a long time. Um, I've seen what works. And it's really, it's like casting. It's, or um, curating a dinner party that lasts, you know, at least a year, hopefully longer than a year. And I, I think I learned that and and really trying to figure out personality in addition to obviously talent, experience, worldview, and, and all of that that comes with it. But I do think just being in rooms and seeing things that worked and didn't really gave me a head start. If I had never been in a writer's room, I have no idea how I would have ca- like staffed my room. I, I, I would have been clueless. I'd been like, oh, they could write a good script. Let me hire them. It's so much more detailed than than what's on the page. That's a part of it, but it's so much bigger than the than the work than the script. Well, let's talk about some of those things, and then we'll we'll zoom in afterwards on like these specifics for staffing black cake. But you know, when it comes to generally staffing a room, you know, other than the the bar being they are good writers, what what do you look for? You know, how is how are you populating that dinner party? For me, it starts with. I know what I'm really good at. I know what I also love to do and what I'm like less interested in doing. I know the characters, um, you know, that I really, I, I really want to spend the most time with some that I might need a little help with. And also just my, my life experience, where I am, I'm a mother, how, how old I am, where I'm from. So I know what I bring to the table and then, and it all depends on what the show is. So with women of the movement, I really wanted, it was a very small room. I, I, I only, I could only hire three writers. So step one was just who can be my number two? Who can be the, who can I trust to be in the room when I'm not? And for me, that no matter what the show is, it's just, I, I just, I have to know them. I do. I have to. And if they're not available, I would, I would cry. I, luckily I've found my, my number two both times. And it's someone I know and love and trust and trust with my life. But you just have to know because at a certain point in in the writer's room, I have to go do other things and uh, casting and scouting locations, meeting, hiring department heads, and I can't be there every single day, all day. And so it was just who who knows me, knows my style, knows my strengths, my weaknesses, and who will be honest with me. Respectful, of course, that's number one, but honest. And if there's a hole in the script or the plot or if the dialogue is is vague. I really need someone who's is not afraid to tell the showrunner that, that, that there's an issue because I'd much rather hear it from a writer than an executive. I just would. I'd rather we all figure it out. And I also know it's the writer brain. It's the creative brain. And we speak the same language and we want the same things, which is to be to be honest and to be true to the characters. Let me let me stop you there because uh, I want to dig in on that number two for one more second um, and talk about like empowering that person what kind of autonomy do they have, right? They're running the room when you are not in it. Um, what do you, what are your expectations? And then, you know, what, how much, how much leeway are they given as far as creating stories? Well, you know, to be honest, I, I'm in the room, you know, most of the time. <laughs> I mean, like at some point I will be able to let go a little bit more. I haven't been, these have just been my first two shows. I'm so protective, but I mean, even if I'm gone for like an hour, um, I just, they just know what the assignment is. I, I am very specific with, okay, this is what I want you guys to focus on. 
And, you know, these are the storylines, these are the plot points, or just brainstorm, or or can we beat this particular storyline? Or how do we populate this world? And just, or you guys just go through it and tell me, are we missing something that I, you know, that I haven't, I haven't seen just taught. It's very specific when I leave and I never just, I'm like, peace out. I, I always say, because I've been on the other end of that, we're just like, bye. And then you're like sitting there with nothing to do. And it's a complete waste of time. So I always give a specific assignment, something specific to focus on, or it's like, okay, the room's done. Like, there's no point. Like, go to go research, go read, go write, go do something. Like, don't waste time. And now, especially on Zoom, what are you going to do? Stare stare at the screen all day, talk about what you're watching. I'd just rather be productive. Um, so I, but I always make it very clear. Um, just at the beginning, you know, with, with bringing on people, you know, what my expectations are, what I need, and also just. And how they are that there is no hierarchy, despite knowing it's a number two. Like every writer, if you're hired to be on this television show, you have a voice, use it. I don't believe in any of that. Like, will your staff writers speak once a day? Which I've, I've, I know I've had people who've been in rooms and they've been told that. Um, I don't believe that. Why, why are you here? You're here because you have a voice and a story and a, and a, an experience that I hope you can share and, and, and help make our characters deeper, our story more exciting. So yeah, with my number two, which is just my co-EP, which was Haley on both of these. Um, she's you know, like the smartest person I've ever met in my life. So I'm not worried about her, but if I ever have to find another one, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to cry. <laughs> she's just so great and so honest and just and she's very different. You know, we have very different, uh, you know, things we're interested in and we have very different lives and, and skill sets. So that's what I look for. Someone who can fill in so the places that, that I feel like are are missing for me. That's great. Um, okay. So once you have, uh, let's say Haley in place uh, yeah. <laughs> from, from here on out, how do you populate the rest of the room? It's all about, you know, for women in the movement, who are, is anyone interested in, in history specifically like American history, civil rights movement, starting with their, like those writers. Do so you have a sample just the, the dialect sort of that, that so reading those scripts first, reading those bios before I even meet people. If the, the bio will get me to read a script more than an agent selling me them I mean it just will like the bio is interesting and it and it they just tell me that like oh I could you could fill in the blanks and you're you're interested in journalism you used to be a journalism major that could really help because I know that we're doing that journalists are a huge part of the story with women in the movement and um and black journalists specifically and so there were some writers that they either their sample was about you know uh, black newspapers or they just were history buffs so it's really what is their bio telling me that I might that they might not think to offer, you know, uh, that their agent might not really know how to sell them. Because the thing that actually drives me insane is when it's just like they are diverse. It's so offensive to me. I mean, as a person who has probably been in an email and described as she is diverse, <laughs> I'm like, dude, what does that mean? I, I honestly don't know what it means. Like diverse in what way? You're a person. Like where are you from? What's your background? What did you study in college? Is it something more interesting than what I studied, which was screenwriting? <laughs> you know, I'm feeling like, what can you bring to the table that's not obvious? So the bio has really, I've discovered some amazing writers. One, uh, you know, I'll, I'll jump ahead, but my staff writer, I had one staff writer on, on Black Cake and her bio was just really interesting. She had a really interesting personal story. And then I read it. And I mean, I'm leaving like a hundred 
you know, scripts. I read a lot of them. I, I really try to read all of them as well. I don't like to stop at page 10 unless it's absolutely horrible, which a lot of people are just like, oh, just skim through it. But I'm like, no, I need, I really just want to see if there's something like they're building up to. Maybe it feels slow, but then all of a sudden like I'm hooked. But her bio was very specific, but, like, painted a very clear picture of who she was. And it was unique. I never really, um, I hadn't heard that story before. I don't want to sort of call her out because I don't want to put too much personal stuff. Her script is also about some things she'd gone through in her life. And, you know, our Black Cake is about mixed multicultural people globe trotting around the world. There's murder, there's stolen identities. And some of the things that she had talked about in her bio and her script really connected. And so if I hadn't seen that bio, I probably wouldn't have read this script. You know what I mean? So I, I think bio number one. And then um you know, reading the script, obviously, I just want to be transported. I don't even care what genre it is. I just want to be transported somewhere. Um, I, I want to feel something. I want to feel sad. I want to feel scared. I mean, I read a really amazing horror sample and I wanted to hire the writer, but she got, she got, you know, staffed on something immediately, but it might, Black Cake is not a horror. I mean, <laughs> at all. like not even close, but it was just, she had a very distinct point of view and style. So it, I just, if you, it's just being yourself unique and not feeling cookie cutter, like something I've read or some bio that's very generic and doesn't really tell me anything about you. I'll just probably just skip, skip right over it. And then it's the interview. Uh, but, and before we get to the interview, are there things in that bio or I guess less so in the bio, but in, in the sample scripts that you're reading that can immediately turn you off? Are there common mistakes that you see made? It's subjective, I think, sometimes. I mean, obviously, like, there's a bunch of typos, but then it's like, why is your, what, you know, <laughs> it's not just your fault. It's like a bunch of other people's fault that there are typos. I don't, I don't really see that. Um, if it feels just like I've seen this a lot, like, if, there, if this is like a generic character in a generic world, regardless of the genre, I just, that's when I'm like, it's really hard for me to keep reading. Cause I'm like, you know, I, I just want it to feel unique, unique and distinct. And, and it's a sample. So it's not like it has to be producible. It could be a billion dollar budget screenplay or a $5, you know, or two people could be a play. I mean, I read plays as well, short stories. And a lot of things are sent. I always ask to see a script in addition to if, if somebody sends a play or a short story or an essay, I still want to see a script just so I know that they can understand that they got they have the format and the structure down. But I think, yeah, just feeling like cookie cutter, copycat, like, or you just, this is a trend that people are, everybody's doing this particular type of story right now. So I'm going to do it too. Um, I know that's not very specific, but it's usually just a feeling. And I think it's, it, it, again, like I said, it's subjective. I mean, I have things I'm much more interested in than you know another showrunner. It just depends. It's a show by show, showrunner by showrunner uh, basis. Yeah. And it is, I guess, like you say, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to feel something. You want to be invested. And and so the mistake someone can make is not having that, right? Not being passionate about this, making it a cookie cutter thing. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that just feeling, and like I said, whether it's where I'm scared, I'm moved, I'm sad, I'm angry, like whatever the emotion is, doesn't mean I need to sob because most of my shows are very emotional and they make people cry. So I don't even mean that. I mean, that's great because I know that I don't have to work as hard on that part. 
but it's just any, I just want to feel, I want to be inside the character's head. That's another thing. If I feel too removed from your main character or characters, if I am not in their head, if I don't know what their motivations are by their actions or their dialogue, that's another thing where I'm just like, oh, you're just putting some cool set pieces and some like fun dialogue. And that's just, that's just not what I do. So that uh, I, I, I definitely would turn, turn me away. And that's, that's a great piece of advice for anyone tackling uh, a new script, whether you are a new writer or a long time writer. Okay. So, so you've gone through the bios, you've gone through the scripts uh, and now it's time to meet some of these folks. What does that meeting look like from your perspective? Is there stuff, again, are you expecting anything? Are you, you know, hoping for anything? Yeah, I <clears throat> just want to see how easy are they to 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 jump in and, and to be honest and open. So much of a writer's room, especially the, my shows, um, it's talking about yourself. Um, no one is ever forced to talk about anything they don't want to talk about, obviously, but just a willingness because I talk about very personal stuff. I cry in writer's rooms. Just I put so much of myself into the shows and I just, I'm hoping I'm around people in the room who are comfortable with that. <laughs> don't get uncomfortable with people who cry. Um, and uh, cause I, I will pitch as I start performing as the characters and I do a whole scene of dialogue when I'm in, in the writer's room. So people who can jump in, People um, uh, jump in and just just talk about themselves in these meetings um, to share stories about their lives. Just uh, just that feeling that ease with which they share. That's just step one, because the one thing that's so challenging, especially in Zoom rooms, it makes it even more uncomfortable because you can't just get up, go get, you know, some chocolate covered almonds or whatever the Trader Joe snacks are that I miss so much. Um, you have to stare at a, sque- a screen and it, and I'm like, there's nothing happening. No one's talking. It's just me talking. I need people to talk. It's, it's, there's nothing worse than that. So if I feel that in the, in the meeting where it's so awkward and they aren't, aren't talking like, Oh God, abort mission. Like this isn't going to work out because you have to feel comfortable pitching and, and sharing and volleying um, off of your fellow writers, writer producers, and then just making sure they did, they do their research. Like, do they actually know anything about the, pro- what do they know about the project? Like Google, Google now, I mean, Google it seriously. If you didn't like, there's a deadline article, something if, you know, unless it's some top secret, you know, like Star Wars or Disney, that, you know, where they might not even know that it's, it exists yet. Um, but do your research. Have you, have you read the book? If it's an adaptation, that's, that's always a huge bonus. Have you done anything about me? You know anything about the type of work that I like to do? Um, and, and not looking for compliments at all, just looking for just an understanding of sort of the world that you're about to enter. That's always great. And just, and then if it was like a season, uh, more than beyond season one thing, or if it's a true story, just your sort of ideas, like anything I might not have thought of, um, that you would, you know, add to the, the story. Um, I, I never expect people to come like pitches and stuff like that, but it's because um, I usually send, I always have a Bible um, or a format when I staff my rooms. I'm very, very prepared. And I like to share that with the um, candidates before they meet with me. And so it gives them a lot to talk about and to, to share. They can they can read it before the, the meeting. And I always like to see what they took from it or how they perceive something. And so it's just being comfortable sharing your opinions and also just sharing your stories. And if that goes well, then I then I start calling around asking asking about them. It's it's a potentially difficult 
thing though, right? This is a frequently, especially for, for writers who have not been through it before. So for low level writers, this is a high pressure situation and, you know, asking them to start to open up, to offer even, you know, pitches or ideas, or even just things they're excited about to their potential boss can be a big hurdle. How do you make them feel comfortable doing that? I try to just start like, I'm just, what you see is what you get. I mean, you just, this is just the way that I am. So I just try, I ask them about themselves and just talk about nothing for a little bit for a few minutes and then get into it just to sort of put them at ease. Like this, I'm chill. I'm cool. I'm normal. This is just the way that I am. This is the way that I am in the writer's room. You know, this is just me. Um, the writer's room is my happy place. The writer's room and the editing room. Those are my happy places. Production is absolute insanity. That's when it's like poker face me, but the writer's room is the great. It's, it's the, where all the dreams where you, the dreams don't die yet. <laughs> so, um, I try to just put them at ease with my, with my personality and really making it about how are you? What are you watching? Uh, obviously, what are your favorite shows or your favorite books? Like, what do you do? What do you like to do? Do you cook? Like, your favorite food? I'm just sort of getting a, a feeling for who they are. Who do you, do you live with anybody? Where do you live? Where are you from? So just, but not like, i not trying to make them feel on the spot, but just like, I'm on a, like, not a date. That's weird. But, you know, like, I'm just like at a dinner party or, at a, you know, or waiting in line to get a book signed by a favorite author and you, it's small talk, you know, I'm horrible at small talk, but with focused small talk, I, I think can tell you a lot. And then sometimes those pieces, those little nuggets will start us talking about the characters and it'll like, oh, well, you, you know, grew up with, you know, your dad, only your dad, like Covey and, you know, like whatever it is, Covey's the main character in Black Cake. So those things can sort of be a launching point for us to like segue into the show or into what the responsibilities are, or what the world is or a previous project that I worked on um, or a previous project that they worked on um, or their script. I'll, I'll sometimes mention like something I loved about their work which hopefully makes them feel like, okay, you're here for a reason. Like to turn that imposter syndrome off. Like you're, I've, been, I, I've been you. I always tell them that. I'm like, I've been you. So I just, I try to really empathize because I have, I've really been in, in their, their position. Um, so yes, I totally get it. Um, but I think the more comfortable you are, I think even going back to all of my different meetings I had to get jobs, the more comfortable you are and the more authentic and sincere you are, the better. I think it's a breath of fresh air because it is high pressure. But if you pretend that it's not and you just act like you're meeting someone that you admire, hopefully, the the more comfortable you make the showrunner or the whoever else is in the room, there might be another writer or writer producer in there with them. And it, I mean, it sounds like you are a person who, who does that anyway. You know, you're very welcoming and curious, but it's nice to know that like, you're also thinking about, it, right? You want these folks to feel comfortable and, you know, hopefully get to the the bonding faster. I love this idea of a focused uh, conversation, which is still a focused, casual conversation is, is really nice. Let's talk about Black Cake specifically. How much work was done up front? How much was figured out? Like, what did you need to do to sell it? And then once it was in development? Well, I, I read the manuscript three years ago and then, um, you know, what I had an overall deal presented it to the studio and said, I, ha I have to do this for my next show, but it was before I even filmed my first show. So I had to wait and like, I mean, we got the rights and everything, but I had to wait until I filmed to take the show out. And we also um, had found out that uh, Harpo films 
also really love this book. And so rather than like have a bidding war, we decided to come together because I have a relationship with um, Harpo Films with Emily Rudolph and Carla Gardini over there for a previous project. And we all came together. And then I, when I got back from filming Women of the Movement, I spent that summer not relaxing like I should have, but so it all worked out. Um, I just dove into the book and read it for 50 more times and wrote my pitch. I write very, very detailed pitches and people, I think sometimes wonder, well, there's a book, like what is, what is the pitch, but it's just, how, how am I going to structure it? What changes am I going to make? Um, why, why would you make those changes? Having that answer, I don't believe in adapting books and then destroying them. I believe in honoring them because why else would you want to acquire material, especially this beautiful book? Um, but I immediately saw this as a nonlinear story where we jumped time, we were back, we're bouncing back and forth, and that we returned to the same scenes from different characters' points, points of view and multiple perspectives. And so I cited a bunch of examples of other shows like The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Um, I talked about 13 Reasons Why, which I had experienced writing. Um, and then I, I, I structured the pitch and I pitched all eight episodes. I pitched the cliffhanger for every episode. I pitched the main storylines. And I also, the way that I pitch that I always begin, I set the story aside and I talk about me and why I am the right person to adapt the story or to run the show or for you to buy the show for me. Then I lead, then I get into, I remind them what, why they're here, because this might be the biggest moment in your day as the writer pitching, but you're meeting with people who are hearing multiple pitches who might not remember, oh, wait, what book? What's Black Cake? What's that one about? You know, and so just reminding them, this is the log line. These are the main characters. This is the genre. And then I dive into what the pilot up at first episode is. And then I talk about world and tone and structure. I bring it back with themes, why it's the right time for this particular project, um, why it's different. And then I, I usually hit them with something that is very emotional at the end that's very personal um, to bring it back, to come full circle. And it's it's a lot. I, my pitch for Black Cake, I pitched to you know every place you could pro possibly imagine, every streamer. And it was an hour, so it was very hard because uh, I also get, it's emotional. I talk about my personal life, but it was worth it because they saw the show. I painted such a clear picture of the show, and we have this great book. Um, so that and that's what I did with Women in the Movement. I did the same thing. I pitched the whole. I pitched her entire arc. I pitched the the supporting characters, the the cliffhangers, every episode, and the unique structure and what other shows that inspired me to structure it the way that I did. And then I have another project that I'll be taking out the top of the year, and I did the same thing. I, I you know, I, it's a forty five minute pitch, so it's not as long, which is great. It's an original, so I really have to tell fill the world. I have to be so clear and, and really, really get into the details of what this world is and who these people are, because it's all from my brain. Um, but I, I do really detailed pitches because I, you know, I want them to see how committed I am to making this show, not just writing the scripts, but making this show and, 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 and producing this thing. And, and I will, you know, bleed for it and just how much I've already thought about it and then how prepared we are to staff writers to bring in a writer's room um because i've already got this whole bible that i just pitched them and they know like we're ready to you know for me to write the pilot and then to get going and i think that's why it was so accelerated the whole process of selling it in i think september of 2021 and then we started filming in july of 2022 in jamaica so it was you know um 
with with seven episodes written when we were filming the first episode. So it was just because all of that work that went into it before um, before I pitched it. Well, that's really interesting to hear, and also sounds like so much work. What what then are your expectations? Like, what what did you expect from your Black Cake writers' room after giving them all of this work you had done? Well, yeah, and a lot of them were like, well, why do you need us? They like made the joke day one. I was like, well, you don't understand. I mean, this is, you know, this is a 30, a 25 page Bible. We have, you know, 50, we have 400 something pages of screenplays. where I had written the first script, um, but we just needed to build out the worlds. I mean, we knew what the arc, we knew what her arc was. We knew what the big turning points were. The final episode is probably the, it required the most adjustment. Um, it, um, there were some changes from the book and there are more notes on the final one. So we had to do a little bit more there, but I just expect them to uh, help me build it out. Help me flesh out these characters. Who else can we add? Because it was the pa- story in the past of Black Cake is so thrilling. It's so high stakes. And the story in the present is these two siblings listening to their mother's, you know, past. How do you make that interesting? You know, how do you make it active? And that was really, I think, the biggest hurdle I came in. The, that's why I needed that. I needed them because, you know, I'm not, would, wouldn't want to do this by myself. I love hearing other points of view. I love collaborating. That's what TV is. Um, but that was really the biggest task and the assignment day one of the writers was okay how do we make byron and benny's stories as emotional and as riveting as Cubby's story in the past oh that's great and then um was there stuff that surprised you that the room brought in uh that you were like this is so exciting i can't wait to get it in the show yes i mean so many of our writers you know they they all chosen for a reason um their little pieces of their lives are in this show and whether it's a scene or a line of dialogue or something that's culturally specific. Um, one of my writers, uh, supervising producer, Tara, you know, she grew up in um, Bermuda and she lives in London and she went to boarding school. So you know, we had the book obviously, but we have, you know, a real life, you know, and she was a young mother as well. And so she was able to, she shared so much of her herself and so that we could really make it authentic and not just in terms of the writing, you know, looking at boarding houses when we're scouting and looking at the pictures and does this feel right? And she was a history buff too. She's like a genius. So that I was so thrilled. I, I didn't know she was a history buff when I, I hired her. I knew she was a great writer, a super fun, amazingly charming woman. I knew she was from um, Bermuda, but she shared just things about her father and breadfruit trees. And she sent us pictures. Her father lives in Bermuda, these beautiful breadfruit trees. It's just, just the specificity of so many of my writers just really made this even more, um, just added other layers uh, to the show that I wouldn't have brought. I was born in the Midwest. Like I've never lived anywhere but the United States. So I'm very American. This is a very international story. So they brought, I can't even count all the things that the writers brought. Um, and they just were supportive and um, they loved it. And, and that's what I needed. That's so exciting to hear. Um, it sounds like it was really a great experience overall. Um you know, just looking back now on the the entirety of the Black Cake experience, what would you say was the biggest challenge of the show? The biggest challenge was, I mean, a couple of things, but casting, finding the, these characters are very unique and there aren't a lot of 
huge actors who are who could pass as teenagers who are half Chinese, half black, um, um, fill in the blank with a number of other things and other characters on the show, but who are amazing actors. A young actor like Mia Isaac who can take this absolutely amazing journey that Covey is on. She starts when she's 16 and she's a girl. She has no problems. The biggest problem is like her dating a boy that her dad doesn't approve of. And then she's running for her life for 50 years. She is so amazing. And finding her was the greatest gift because once we found Covey and then we found Chipo Chung, who plays the adult version of Covey, who is playing her when she's in her 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, to find, number one, an actress who can look just like the other actress, who's an amazing actor. We have accents, and the accents change. depends on where they are at their life and where they're living. It's so hard, but we found them, and I'm just so grateful, but it was very, it was scary. I mean, we were scared. There were certain moments, and then you, they're not, certain actors we almost lost. Simon, who plays Lynn because of availability, and at the very last minute, so casting was the biggest obstacle, but I mean, they're just the soul of the show and there's no black cake without these amazing actors. So it was worth it, but oh my God, there are many, many tears, many like hives all over my face, breaking up the hives. And I'm like, we don't have an actor. What are we going to do? We're filming in a month. Totally. Um, And it sounds like, you know, from the casting of the writer's room to the casting of the show. And like, I assume this, this carried on to the whole production. Like, it sounds like you found all the perfect people for this show. We did, and, and everybody loved it because it was really challenging. We shot in five different five different countries. Um, you know, we shot in Jamaica, we shot in Wales, we shot in London, we shot in Italy, we shot in Southern California, and that's not easy. And most shows don't do that. And I'm I'm lucky that I'm at a studio that we're able to to do that and to to, to roll the dice, and we won because um, it looks beautiful. And I'm, we couldn't. Now I'm looking at it, I'm like, how could we have ever shot it anywhere else? Of course. I mean, it's like. It Done. really does make a difference. Like you, the texture of, especially those, like the Jamaica scenes is like, it wouldn't have played if it had been, you know, on a back lot or something. Um, before we, before we wrap up, like, what was the, what was the fun of the show for you? You know, when you look back on this experience 25 years from now, what is the thing you're going to be like, I'm so proud of that moment. Well, I, this is something, it's funny you bring it up because I, this is my goal moving forward is I have more fun. I'm very, very serious when we're filming. I always tell the directors and the cast, do not try to read my face behind Video Village. I'm like, I'm editing the scene. I'm cutting dialogue. I'm thinking about, and I'm also casting and rewriting. I'm doing it all at the same time. So I didn't, I don't have a lot of fun. I mean, to be honest, but I need to. Um, it's just the pressure's on me, you know? So um I, however, filming in Jamaica, the pre-production in Jamaica, moving to Jamaica, meeting the people in Jamaica, that is something, I was just talking to my husband because I brought him and my daughter for pre-production, magical, just being there. Even though I didn't get to go have fun, I went in the sea like for an hour out of the, the whole time I was there, but just being there and actually like living with the people whose lives that we were going to portray just was so moving to me and meaningful. I'll never forget it. I've been able to see the world because of my job. And I've lived in places like Mississippi, I never thought I would live in. And I meet these amazing actors and and, and crew members and, and creators. So it's really the relationships that I form 
that I hold on to. And um, that's, that's what I, I think is fun and just important, I think, because I'm not, <laughs> I'm fun in real life. But I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> the way I'm you keep serious. saying it really convinces me. <laughs> I'm very serious when I'm on set. It's there's high pressure, millions and millions of dollars. And the clock is ticking. And you got to just make sure everything goes the way it's supposed to go. So but I'm going to try and be one of those fun showrunners who has TikToks of dancing with the cast. I'm like, that's just not me. I'm the mom who sits and watches their kids in the pool. That, that's the way I describe it. I'm going to try to get in the pool. but It seems like you are someone who really like enjoys the work. And so I know, like, and I, and I think I'm the same way that like, it doesn't always look like I'm having fun, but I love doing this yes. thing. Absolutely. I love writing. I love editing. I love, you know, finding these beautiful locations, looking at the work with production designers. I love seeing gorgeous cinematography. I love it. I really love the writing and the editing the most though. Like those are my safe, happy places. I'm safe in, in a box. <laughs> like thinking about I'm problem solving things that actually can be solved. And sometimes when you're on set, it's like there's just so much chaos that and there's so many moving parts. So it's just the stakes are higher. So it's harder to have fun. But yes, I love it. I love this job. I couldn't do I can't even imagine like during the strike. I was like, what if there is no writing after this? Like, what would I do? And that was very scary. I do not know. So I wrote it like I was writing a children's book. I, I just can't even escape. I can't escape this. I do. I'm like you. I love it. I love writing. I love storytelling. And I love working with actors and, and other creatives. And that honestly, that that passion all shows um, both in Black Cake and it did as it did in Women of the Movement too. Um, folks should check out Black Cake. It's on Hulu right now. We'll end as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your family, your loved ones, uh, your coworkers. I always say the things that make people laugh, but I, I really escape reality and I, I watch re- reality TV. <laughs> I watch reruns of RuPaul's Drag Race. I watch The Real Housewives of New York. And, um, but I watch stuff with my daughter and I've been watching the Babysitter's Club reboot with her and she loves it. And she's reading the graphic novels and I've been reading them with her. So I've been doing that. I've seen a bunch of children's movies. I mean, the bear, swagger, um, for like, you know, scripted stuff. Um, but I watch a lot of reality because I'm so emotionally exhausted. Like at the end of the day, I just want to like escape. Even though re- I mean, it's not reality. Reality TV is not reality at all, which, you know, the irony there. But I do. I watch that that kind of like escapist stuff right now. When I get back into writing, I get like when I'm on a show again, then, then I usually turn that stuff off and I, I, I focus on, you know, the, like the white lotuses and the successions of, of the world. But right now, right now, there's neither of those shows are on. One's done forever and one won't be back for like two years. So that's what I w- would be watching. If White Lotus were on right now, I'd be watching that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for the time being, escape reality with reality <laughs> TV shows. I like it. Um, MJ, thanks so much for chatting. Thank you. It's great to see you again.